Hello, St. Matthew family. My name is Father Ted Sill, and you're listening to our podcast, St. Matthew Moments, where we connect through Catholic conversations. The Holy Spirit has something for us today, so take a deep breath, clear your mind, and come connect with us. Hello, and welcome to today's St. Matthew Moments, connecting through conversations on Catholic life. Today, I'm happy to welcome Sister Felicity of the Dominican Sisters of the Immaculate Province from Chicago, Illinois, our pastor, Father Sill, and our diaconate candidate, future deacon, Chris Walsh. First of all, I'd like to just give all of you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Why don't you start us off? So my name is Christopher Walsh, and I was uh, raised in Eaton, Ohio, born and raised Catholic. I went to Visitation Catholic Church, got confirmation, communion, and confession there. Moved to Columbus in 1977 to attend The Ohio State University. Through a long period of time of discernment, going to school, leaving school, going to school, leaving school. It took me 15 years. I finally graduated. In between then, I met my wife, Deborah. When I, um, I met her, I knew right away she was special. And so we, we fell in love, got married, had raised two beautiful girls. They're both grown on their own. One's married with her own child. So I'm a grandfather. And it's been a great journey for me. Sister, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a very new sister. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I just made my first vow six months ago. I entered religious life a bit over two years ago. So now I'm here in our headquarters near Chicago, Illinois. I'm going through formation. I also have the joy of helping in our apostolate at a nursing home. Before I entered religious life, I was a teacher for five years, and I kind of bounced around the U.S. a couple different places. I was in Tennessee and Indiana for school, partly, and I also went back home to my home state of Oregon to teach for a couple years, so that's where I originally hail from. Very good. Thank you. Now, Father Ted, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, as maybe some of my parishioners have heard me say before, I you know, grew up in a Catholic family. There were five siblings. There were six of us in Circleville, Ohio, at St. Joseph uh, Catholic Church there. Both my parents were Catholic. Uh, growing up Catholic, we uh, went to Mass every Sunday. It was not an option when we got to be teenagers. Um, we still had to go. My dad was very tall and had a long reach. And I remember sitting in the pews and you had to behave because he could reach down the very end of the family and grab whoever was misbehaving. So he uh, learned how to behave no matter what uh, in church. The parish had a grade school, Catholic grade school. And so I went to that grade school and then uh, Catholic high school in Chillicothe. Uh, We were bused down there, parish bus. And then uh, I went to college at Hawking Technical College and then transferred to the Ohio State University where I graduated. (laughs) And I went to work for five years in my field of study before I ended up giving in to the the nagging and the nudging that I felt uh, to explore the priesthood. So I've been a priest for 31 years now, 10 years as pastor here at uh, St. Matthew's. We are grateful that you're here and for your vocation. Thank you. So uh, usually we start our podcast, our first segment is where each of us can share a Catholic moment from the last time since we recorded. So Chris, why don't you start us off with your Catholic moment? Certainly. Uh, so as, as an attorney, I've, I've, you know, employees that work for us and we had a really difficult employee that we had to terminate a few weeks ago. And then this past week, 
the other employee that we had kept had put together this very nice Excel spreadsheet on billing, the bills that, that we receive that we have to pay, whether overhead bills or bills that we pay on behalf of our clients. And this person we had terminated had apparently gone in and erased a lot of the work that this the current employee had done, and she was really upset. And But I was able to you know talk to her about the difficulty this other person had because she had her own challenges, the woman we terminated, and to explain to her that that woman has all these challenges and crosses she has to bear, and, and we just have to pray for her and, and not to take it too hard. And I think it helped settle her down and calm her down a little bit because it, that seemed to help, that con- connection with her and letting her know that, one, I cared about what was going on with her, and two, that she has to sometimes just pray for other people and, and forgive them. So that, that was my Catholic moment for this week. Beautiful. Father Ted, what is your Catholic moment? Well, it happened this morning when I had the 8.30 Mass, and uh, we had all of the teachers um, and administration at that Mass. The teachers have a work day, so no students. Typically, we would have the uh, students there as well. So I was, I was thinking uh, uh, during Mass that a lot of times I think the teachers are so focused on their students that maybe they don't get to focus as much on Mass and so they were all sitting there very attentive, like they expect their students. And it was just nice to have them there and to have the opportunity to uh, thank them for all their uh, efforts. Uh, it's a lot of hard work under these uh, COVID times, uh, the challenges. So opportunity for me to thank them. And also we gave them, had some special prayers and a blessing for them at Mass. Beautiful. Sister, what's your Catholic moment? This past week when I was working with some of our residents, I was playing cards with a resident. And she and I like to rib each other. Before we even started, I said, now don't cheat, you know. She said, well, you don't cheat either. <laughs> and I said, I, I can't cheat. I'm a nun. <laughs> so throughout the game, which went, we played for over an hour. Um, occasionally she said, you cheated. You cheated. And I said, I, I didn't cheat. She said, oh, I forgot. You're a nun. I keep forgetting. I'm so sorry. For the sarcasm. I loved it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So my Catholic moment was actually with my husband. Um, we were doing some meal planning. I usually like to keep meals pretty simple. I'm pretty straightforward. I've got like a rotation of seven things that I sort of work through every week. But he is a man who grew up in Louisiana and food, if you know people from the South, is very important to them. And so he really likes to have like sort of an elevated menu, if you will. And so by being open to him and hearing what his needs were, um, I felt like that was just part of uh, living out marriage with him and being open to him and really letting him make life better at our home because it is fun every once in a while to have something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. That was my Catholic moment. So today we're um, going to be talking about vocations. Um, November 1st through the 6th or 7th is Vocation Awareness Week here in the United States. And so I thought that's why we have um, people of various uh, vocations here joining um, so that we can explore this topic and hear some of their stories specifically. My first question to you, Father, would be, was there anyone in particular that inspired you to consider the vocation of the priesthood? Yes, is my Uncle Ted. Um, I'm in fact named after uh, him because I was born on the day that he was ordained a priest. And so his name was Theodore, so uh, I got uh, that name as well. My parents also named me Theodore because I have a twin brother, um, Rick, Richard, named after my father. 
And my parents figured that the name Theodore means gift of God, and they figured I was a little extra gift. So it was my uncle, Uncle Ted. I was a Carmelite priest, and he was my favorite uncle. He was a lot of fun to be with. He visited usually once a year, and you know, we just had a great time with him. So I wanted to be just like my uncle, and my uncle was a priest. So probably around second grade when I started thinking about it. Great. Sister, how about you? Uh, there are so many people who helped me along the way. I think it really takes a, a city you know, to raise a vocation. Um, in particular, I was blessed to volunteer with Franciscan Missionary Sisters of Our Lady of Sorrows from when I was 12 through high school. Um, and so they really taught me that sisters are real people. I spent days with them, honestly, working with them in their ministry. Um, they taught me how to pray the liturgy of the hours. They taught me a lot of the beautiful things of religious life. And so they opened the door to even it being a possibility. And then when I shared with them that I was considering religious life, that I felt called to it, they supported me every step of the way. Sometimes I was really at a loss from, for directions from God. Um, and they continued to pray for me and support me and give me a little tokens and images of their support. So I'm so grateful to them for that. I love that idea that it takes a village to raise a vocation. So Chris, you're living, living one vocation right, right now, which is married life. And coming up this uh, next weekend, you will be ordained to the permanent diaconate. What was the discernment like? Is there a particular deacon or a priest that inspired you to consider the diac permanent diaconate? Uh, no, actually it was my cousin. I was having lunch with her many years ago at this point, and we were talking about various you know, religious issues, including the right to life and you know life from birth, from conception to natural death, and all the issues related with with life. And it, she just said out of the blue, "Have you ever thought about being a deacon?" And I hadn't. And what's interesting is she doesn't remember this conversation. She doesn't remember asking me if I thought about being a deacon, which tells me. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through my cousin that uh, I should consider the diaconate. So we had a couple really good deacons at St. Brendan, the Navigator, which was our original parish when my wife and I got married. And they had they were really good examples to me. So I started looking at it a little bit. But I had two girls, and I was heavily involved in the church with them. With uh, I, was, I started a ski club at St. Brendan. I was a Girl Scout leader at St. Brendan. I was a volleyball coach for the girls at St. Brendan. And then moving into high school, I was heavily involved with the Bishop Waterson Marching Band. So I didn't approach it right away until my youngest daughter graduated from Bishop Waterson. And then I started getting into it. I spoke with Deacon Anarino, and he explained the process. So I started taking some classes. And the more classes I took, the more I liked it. There are Now there are five. There were at the time six prerequisites you have to take before you can even apply to the diaconate. And I, I loved every one of them. And the one with theology was extremely hard. That was Dr. Perry Cajal, who the man is brilliant. You're going to have a class with him, take it. But uh, he worked us really hard. But the, all the classes were excellent. I got a lot out of them. And it was a combination of that and listening to Catholic radio, uh, EWTN, St. Gabriel Radio, 820 AM, where I learned so much there as well. So the combination of the classwork and the, and the radio, which was a real gift to our community that we have that. So it was that was what got me going. And then the formation pro process here is, is also amazing. So I've really been blessed that I live in a particular area where we have a really strong deacon formation program because not every deacon gets that gift that I've been given. How long was your uh, formation period? That'll be seven years 
upcoming up through ordination. So, so it took me three years of the prerequisites and then one year of discernment before accepted into candidacy and then three years of candidacy. I started in 2013 okay. with my first classes. Uh, sister, what's your, your formation like there, the Dominican sisters? Yeah, our formation uh, begins with candidacy, um, and that could last any length of time. Um, you become an aspirant, which is usually from six months to a year, and then a postulant, also from six months to a year. Um, and at each of these stages, you're progressively uh, living more with the community, learning more about the community. You're also studying, too, um, learning about your faith so you can live it out. Then you become a novice for one year, and that's when we receive our habit and our religious name. You make, after one year of novitiate, you make first vows for a year. So they're temporary vows to practice living out the life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. You renew those temporary vows three times, each time for a year. Uh, and then the last renewal is for three years. So this time of temporary vows, it can be shortened or extended, but it's typically six to nine years. So you've spent six to 10, 11 years in religious life before you make perpetual vows, which are forever, for eternity. And remind us again of where you are in that formation process. I just made my first vows, so I was a novice a year ago, and now I am what we call a junior professor sister, and I'm just learning how to load them out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have practice in each step of the way you gradually go deeper and deeper into the life, so... And I also love the fact that you have lots of time to really explore it and be sure that this is the life for you before you make vows forever. I've had lots of conversations with people, even when I was discerning religious life, um, where they were saying, are you really sure, you know, you can have life without children? Are you really sure this is for you? And I thought, wow, I wish that all of my friends who are getting married could have this kind of discernment and these kind of conversations, because every vocation is a really big decision. So to be able to authentically discuss that and inquire and reflect on whether this is for you is valuable, whether you're discerning married life or religious life. Yeah, I know. I was kind of thinking along those lines, um, actually, as I was considering our conversation today, thinking of what my formation was like um, as a young woman. I never really, I mean, I sort of looked at, I guess, religious life. I taught CCD um, at the parish that I grew up in, and our DRE was a sister. <laughs> and she thought I had a, possibly had a, um, a call to religious life, but she told my mom rather than me, which I think is interesting, that she never said, hey, I think you might have a call to religious life. So that never really entered into my mind. And I always, I guess I always just thought, like, that's all. I didn't really know, I guess I did know sisters. I guess I must have really been just called to married life. You didn't see you and being a sister. Yeah, I never, <laughs> I always wanted to, I always wanted to be a mom, you know? Yeah. So that was, um, that was important for me to, but I also recognize now that, you know, sister, you live out spiritual motherhood in a way that, that I sort of do in a sense, but without the, you know, it's, we're all, we all work together to bring about the kingdom, you know? Yeah. So, Father Sill, what was, um, what's the formation like for a um, diocesan priest? Well, if 
inquires or is accepted into uh, the program after already having done college, uh, then there's typically at a secular college, typically uh, two years of what's called pre-theology, where you would focus on philosophical and, and religious studies to provide you the groundwork for um, doing a graduate work in theology. So, so two years of uh, undergraduate pre-theology, then four years of graduate studies in theology is the normal course uh, these days. And that's as a full-time student, you get uh, in the summer times, you aren't going to classes, but you're assigned in a parish to do an internship uh, over the summers of those, those four years. So if you have a, like a high school senior who is considering priesthood and they decide to attend minor seminary, what's that like? Is it, is so that would be uh, four years of undergraduate studies, and they would get all of the prerequisites that they need to do the graduate studies in theology. So that would be a, an eight-year straight-through uh, program, typically. Although there are a number of dioceses that are doing what's called a pastoral year between college and theology, or sometimes into uh, theology uh, after a couple years, where they just take a year and um, do some pretty intensive pastoral work in the parish. So now that most of you are living the vocation that we felt called to, are there any particular surprises that that you, things that you didn't expect about living your vocation? an unexpected joy or maybe an unexpected challenge, or you could give both even. And Chris, obviously you're not quite a deacon yet. So maybe what's the thing that you're most looking forward to? Well, actually to go back, there is a surprise. And and although I'm not in the deacon, I'm not a deacon yet. I was prior to entering the diaconate, a music director at St. Margaret of Cortona Parish. And, and I loved it. We had a really, really excellent choir, lots of singers, and we did some really challenging music. And it was a real joy. And I knew at the time that I may have to give that up to become a deacon. And I wasn't sure I could do that. But I figured what the heck, you know, I start the process and see what happens. And it's amazing how God works in your life. Because as I got more and more into the diaconate in the studies, and it and then had to, and I had to give up choir director and music director position last year. God made it really easy for me to do that. And I can't, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Because I was worried about that. I, and in fact, at one point I figured I could do both. I could be a deacon and a music director. Now, maybe you can, I don't know. But um, he made it very easy for me to transition from music director to deacon. And so what I'm looking forward to a deacon as I told Father so earlier, I, I love helping people get married. I love helping people stay married. And I love helping people whose marriages didn't work out to, to see if annulment is, is something that's for them. So those are things, because I, I think marriage is the most amazing vocation ever. Apologies to Father Sill, because obviously we need priests. But I love being married. I think marriage, and have priests without married couples. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's just an amazing gift to be able to be married. So I want to help people do that. So that's number one. Number two is I'm a talker. It's a joke. Um, when I was a kid, I, I loved to talk a lot. And I had a polio vaccine. And my mom told me once that I was vaccinated with a phonograph needle. Now, for you young <laughs> people, you know what a phonograph is, that will go right over your head. But in the old days, they had these needles that played music. And, and you could hear people talk with the needle. So I will talk your ear off if you let me. <laughs> I, I love to talk. And I love 
to help people find Jesus. So I'm hoping to be able to preach occasionally and, and through preaching, maybe help people draw a better, stronger connection with Jesus. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Sister, what's a surprise for you? Well, what was not a surprise, I'll start there, okay. was that when you enter the convent, you are still the same person you were before. And that can be difficult. You're like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, gee, I thought I'd be a saint by now. You're not. Um, that wasn't a surprise to me. But what has been a surprise is how richly God has graced me to grow in ways that I did not expect. Um, I guess I didn't even think they were possible for me to grow in that way. Uh, and because of the reflection that's built into religious life, I can see that growth, I think. So if I continued in my lay life, I might have continued to grow. I don't think I would have grown as rapidly. Um, and I definitely will not have had the retrospection to see it. So that has been a great gift to see that, yes, those graces really are here. They really are available and they really do apply to me. Thank God. <laughs> mm. Father Sill. Um, I, th first thing that comes to mind as far as something I never expected was what we're going through. Everybody's going through it now. Um, but, you know, trying to, uh, maintain, uh, parish life and community under these restrictions uh, that we have and the, and, you know, the fear that people have, uh, regarding, uh, this virus. So, um, never would have thought anything, um, like this. So I think that's been a challenge. I've been pleasantly surprised by uh, the wonderful support that I've had from parishioners um, over the years as a priest, even during some kind of tumultuous time, tumultuous times in the church, you know, challenging times in the church, uh, when there are others, which sometimes surprise me how vile they can be, you know, in their remarks or treatment of us in public. They don't even know uh, us, but if they see the collar, it can really bring out uh, some hatred, but that's been very small compared to the amount of love and support that I've received from people over the years. So last question for all of you. If you knew there was one of our listeners out there that was maybe feeling a nudge toward um, a vocation in the religious priesthood or diaconate, what piece of advice would you give to them? I'll start with you, Chris. Well, I think prayer is the most important thing you need to spend time quietly uh, preferably before the blessed sacrament and really see if that's truly the call for you um, that you, you have to have a connection with God and the deeper that connection is the more the uh, the more certain you'll be of the call so I think that's the first thing and the second thing is don't be afraid to talk about it with people say look I'm thinking about this uh, one of the things I was told early on in the diaconate process was that if you're afraid to tell somebody you're thinking about being a deacon, you're probably not called to be a deacon. So be open about it and then and listen to what they have to say. And whether they're positive or negative, just kind of file it away. Uh, and just because they're negative doesn't mean you're not called. Maybe they had a are having a bad day. So but you just kind of tuck it away. So that's what I would do. Prayer and then talk about it with people that you people you trust and respect. How about you, sister? I would say name your fears and talk about them with God in that time of prayer, because I think a lot of our decisions can be driven by fear and we don't even realize it. And Satan uses fear a lot to keep us from doing what we can do by God's grace. Mm -hmm. um, so 
some of the fears can seem silly, um, but they can matter a lot to you. And some can be really significant issues. Kind of like Chris mentioned about giving up music direction. Like that can really impact your life. And so it's something worth talking about with God. But if you name the fear, you can address it. You can talk about it with God instead of letting it kind of run your life and you not even be aware of it. Great advice. How about you, Father? Um, echo both what Sister said, Sister Felicity said, and Chris. Um, I just add it with the prayer. I'm praying along, also not just to do God's will, but to have a growing desire um, to do uh, God's will. And yes, talk to others, um, other priests, uh, you know, your parents, um, other people who, who know you well uh, to kind of get uh, their their take on your abilities, your own gifts and abilities that they see in you uh, that would fit. And uh, one component I would add to what uh, Sister Felicity and Chris said would be um, get involved in your parish, um, some kind of ministry or service um, in the parish and, and service outside the parish as well to see um, if, if you have an inclination, if you enjoy doing, if you have a desire to do uh, that kind of work, then, you know, it, it can also um, help you in, in your discernment. Thanks for all of that. Um, hopefully our listeners, are, maybe some of the kids that are listening to this will um, hear that and have a path forward. So our final segment is our St. Matthew shout out. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So uh, my shout out is to George Harvey, who's an amazing man. And, and I apologize again, George, if you're, if you're listening. Um, I was working in the, my yard last week and got really muddy, didn't realize it. I had to get my ministry agreement sir, signed by Father Sill. And so I'm walking in the, the office, and I look back, and I see these muddy footprints. And I feel like I'd only taken about maybe six or eight steps in. I turned around, I walked out, I got my phone to call Father. Uh, so I got my ministry agreement signed, but I, I left a mess. And George cleaned it up for me, and I really appreciate it. I felt terrible, but he's such an awesome guy. He always has a smile on his face. He will do anything you ask without question, uh, provided it's legal. And he's just a, an awesome person. So I, my shout-out is to George. We're really blessed to have him. How about you, Father? I got the big chunks. I want you to know I picked up the big chunks. <laughs> I left the rest for George, so thank you, George. Father, what's your shout-out? Um, my shout out is uh, to uh, my staff. Um, Julie, you do a, a great job with these and just the way that uh, our staff works together and has a lot of great ideas, particularly under the challenges that we've had to face um, during this um, uh, the COVID um, era. Um, and so, you know, including my office staff, starting with administration over in the school on down to the teachers and the staff and even the people that, uh, that do the maintenance and custodial work over there from uh, our, our uh, staff. Everybody is doing a great job, uh, particularly under these challenges. So that's my shout out. Perfect. Sister. I would like to give a shout out to my sisters, Sister Paulina and Sister Venancia, who work at St. Matthew's School. That comes from me, but also from all of us here in Justice. We love our sisters and we're glad that they're able to serve with St. Matthew. We are so grateful that they're here too, honestly. So my shout out is one of my favorite listeners, my son, Zachary. He often helps me with stuff and 
around here. He gives of his time. He's a full-time youth minister at St. Edward's, but he comes back still and helps um, lead music on occasion when he's able to with his new wife. And so that's my shout out. So thank you so much to the three of you for joining me today. I really appreciate the conversation that we were able to have. And that's this week's St. Matthew Moment.